The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. Today's episode is episode number 300. That means we have been podcasting weekly without a gap for 300 weeks. We are closing in on the end of our sixth year of podcasting. Just a reminder to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review so that people looking for help with addiction will find us. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Ring the bell so that you get notified when we have a new video going up and give our videos a thumbs up again so that people will find us when they Google podcasts about addiction. Today's episode is an interview with a woman named Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Full name, Dorothy Diane Dee Dee Pfeiffer is an American film and television actress. She's best known for playing Sybil's daughter, Rachel, on the sitcom Sybil, Sherry on the sitcom For Your Love, and her film appearance as Val in The All-Nighter. She's also known for guest appearances on several other 90s sitcoms, such as Wings, Ellen, Seinfeld, and Friends. Since 2020, the Sybil alum has been starring in David E. Kelly's hit ABC crime drama, Big Sky, which she describes as a rebirth after taking a 10-year hiatus to battle addiction issues and raise two children as a single mother. While away from Hollywood, the actress also went back to school, earning a master's degree in social work from UCLA. She says leaving acting behind for a decade provided her with a reality check as she got to work with the homeless and the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. Let's talk to Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Dee Dee Pfeiffer, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, let me just say, first off, because I did your bio, and you are basically a celebrity, and I want to applaud you for being willing to tell your story, because I know you know there are a lot of people who have a celebrity status, and they're not comfortable with telling their story, and I get it. I completely get it. Absolutely no judgment. But when someone such as yourself with your level of celebrity is willing to share their story, I cannot thank you enough. It's huge. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I still like that celebrity pill is hard for me to even swallow, but I'm, it's easier for me to, to swallow the addict pill than the celebrity <laughs> pill. <laughs> there it is, folks. Um, but thank you so much. Um, I'm going to rip this off from a, a, another podcast I did, but I'm recovering out loud. That's yep. what this guy said. And I said, that's what I'm doing. I'm recovering out loud. Not to be for the sake of being loud, but we know in recovery, one of the most amazing things that we have the opportunity to do is to help other people. Yep. And yes, it's self-serving. It's going to keep my butt sober as well. But let me tell you, it's like almost a new addiction. Affecting somebody in a positive way is like a high for me. It also triggers those dopamine, serotonin hits that our brain used to get when at the thought of drinking or at the thought of that hit of meth or you know what it was, whatever your DOC, your drug of choice was. It's yep. just transferring whack-a-mole to like another addiction, and it's higher than I ever could have gotten before. Is helping people. I so. love that. I love that, and that's it's just a great message. Dee Dee, tell us just a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get into acting, and then ultimately how? How did you get into your addiction? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, um, I'm 58. I got sober four plus years ago. So in my 50s, yes, I went to rehab 
going through menopause, not sexy. <laughs> you tell you with a bunch of meth heads and crackheads and alcoholics and sex addicts, you name it, we were all in there together. And I love those people to this day. Yeah. They're, my, they're my peeps, man. We all had a common denominator. We were trying to save our lives. Hello, right? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, a, a very modest, uh, below, like average um, up, up bringing in Orange County. Not the rich area that Beverly Hills threw up all over, but like near Garbage Grove. <laughs> That's where I was born. Um, almost pretty much under the freeway. Very modest um, home life. My dad was a high-functioning alcoholic. My mother had um, some mental issues, shock treatments in the late 50s. And they had me and my younger sister. Kind of explains me. No. Um, yeah, I know. That's what they did back then. They just shocked you until you didn't really feel that feeling anymore, which was, by the way, I did my research paper on it. It was postpartum, but they didn't know what that was back then. Anyways, so um, blue collar worker, we if we didn't have it, we had to work for it. So I was out there like all the other kids, <laughs> 60s, 70s, and mid 80s working without a work permit because if you wanted something, you earned it. So, um, but one thing I learned early on was love was sitting on my dad's lap in the front yard with Earl, them smoking cigarettes and him drinking his cowboy Coors. And me sitting on his lap, dying for attention, and him getting me a sip of that beer. And when I would cringe, they would laugh. That was love. That was attention. Yep. Now, that started the it's biopsychosocial. That started the environmental issue. But then there's also alcoholism in my family, both sides of my family. Um, in my family right now, I'm the only addict, you know, between my brother, my two sisters and my brother in this generation. But it runs all over. And also back in that day, you know, drinking was like, it was like, of course, of course your dad drinks. Look at your mom, you know, stuff like that. And you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you swallow that. Yep. So we know better now. So um, I had what I'd say is a pretty average dysfunctional drinking habit in school, a drink till I blacked out. Other times could have one glass. Um, I think the falsehood is, is that you have to be in the gutter, drunk off your ass to be an alcoholic. I wasn't, I was a high functioning alcoholic. I had children. I had a career. I'm sorry, my dog and cat are going at it. Guys, you're not you're not invited to this podcast. I'm sorry. Get my it's rescue. okay. <laughs> Can you hear them? No. Okay, good. Yeah, I think we're okay. Oh, really? I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I get the zoo over here. Um, so basically, you know, it was um, I was just I was always hiding my drinking. I think you always know deep down inside that you're not a normie. A normie is you can leave a half a glass of wine on the table and walk away. Like, I don't understand that. How can you ever leave a half a glass of wine or any drink full, half full on the table? Like, that's what already there's something going on in there. <laughs> um, the hiding of the behavior. So it's high functioning, um, but slowly dying inside is what happened. And to people ask about my bottom, I say, which bottom? Mm. so many along the way it was ridiculous I kept trying to quit and I couldn't talk about feeling like a failure the shame I was riddled with shame and embarrassment and um because I could get A's in college I could raise both my kids on my own I could perform in TV and feature films get roles and work with amazing people and I couldn't do this other thing which was just stop so um basically four and a half years ago um I'm so sorry. Star, honey, leave the kitty alone. I'm sorry. She's just kicking the floor out of her. Stop it. <laughs> Braxton, Maximus, please come help the cat out. <laughs> I'm teenagers. They're not. Guys, the dog's kind of going at the cat. Thank you. Welcome to DD Cyber's Live. This is really it, guys. It's all sexy over here. So my family came to me four and a half years ago and was like, um, 
look, we'd like to do an intervention. It's something we never talked about in my family with addiction. We never talked about that elephant in the room. We didn't talk about it with my dad, and we certainly didn't talk about it with me. People tried. And boy, I would bite their face off, and that was the end of that. So no one wants to lose that that member, the family of the family member, right? Right. So, um, what's weird is at that moment in time, and I don't know why, but I think the universe shifted. Probably from the loss of my mom, my father, and a lot of loss in my life as well. I think my dad from the other side was helping me. I was ready. Because when they came to me and wanted to do an intervention, intervention, I said, you don't have to do that. Just tell me where to go. Just take care of my kids and my animals, and I'll do it. Two days later, I was in rehab. Wow. Because some, but had they come to me any other time, I would have probably told them the F off, right? But you had lost your parents recently. So you kind of um, had... Mom about a year before that, my dad way before that. Okay. Other people, best friends to AIDS back in the day. I mean, just, and my Rottweiler was 100 pounds in my arm. Just like a lot of loss. Yep. Also, honestly, when you're carrying that addiction on your back, it's a lot. It's exhausting to try to hide. It is exhausting to try to pretend that you don't have a problem. Yep. I think I just got exhausted because I started looking at 800 numbers on the TV, but I just couldn't find the courage to call because Dee Pfeiffer. I mean, right? I'm Michelle Pfeiffer's sister, David Kelly's sister, blah, blah, blah. blah. You know, yep. and what do you do with your kids? Yep. Because I, I, I couldn't even say the words alcoholic. They would say it and I'd get angry. <laughs> But I hadn't come full circle. And so I was extremely lucky that I was exhausted enough to say, yeah, let's go. And then that's what landed me in an intensive 30 page, 30 a day rehab where wow. changed, changed hardest thing to do is ask for help. Hardest thing to do. Which is why I'm I'm out loud with my addiction because yes. I want no, I understand that shame. I understand laying in bed going, I can't, why can't I just ask for help? Because yep. the shame is unbelievable. Anybody who is in recovery and will tell you that shame kneecaps you. So I want to say, I get it, but but it's okay. Because as much as it's going to hurt to ask, oh my God, it's not going to be as bad as what you're doing right now. That's and right, right. Now, you're the identified problem. Yep. And then you decide that you want to change, you become the identified possibility. Yep. That's yep. exactly And I think the other thing is so often, and it doesn't sound like it in your case, because you had family members who did the intervention, but a lot of times family members go, why can't she just stop? I don't understand it. And it's like, yo, addiction, physical, mental, spiritual, it's not a joke. It's not just something where you wake up in the morning and go, oh yeah, okay, I'm not going to drink today. Because then those cravings start up and Uh you're on a roll. Well, it's so, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's very simple. It's very simple. People think it's a choice. That's it. Because if it was a choice, you would stop. Trust me, we would all stop. None of us like to be in that state. Wherever you are, high functioning or in the gutter, it's irrelevant. You, you do would love to stop if you could. Like you would also like to stop your cancer from growing in your body, but that is also a disease. No one yep. wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to be an addict. That sounds like a good idea. Any more than they say, hey, I want to wake up with cancer. But then exactly. both need to be treated and both will take you out and take yep. you to the light too soon if not addressed. Well, the- and even if, even if we could honestly say it maybe started with a choice, once the addict hits, there ain't no choice anymore. Yeah, there you go. That's the whole thing. Every, when you're kids, you drink. Okay, like my boys, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I know you're going to drink, but just don't be stupid. Uber, yep. I'll come pick you up, whatever. And by the way, if you ever find yourself in a problem situation where you feel like something's going awry, I'm here as a soft landing. You saw your mom in my addiction, active in my addiction. Now you see mm-hmm. what recovery looks like. 
I'm a soft, I'm a soft landing for you. I can't live their journey for them. I can't prevent them mm-hmm. from inevitable, but I can just show them what it looks like every day. As I'm hoping one person today watches this and goes, oh shit, that's what sobriety looks like. It can, it can. <laughs> trust me, I look at pictures of me before. You could see inside I was slowly dying. Yep. And now it's a rebirth. In my 50s, almost 60s, and it's a rebirth. That's what, that's what recovery can look like. Yeah. And I will tell you, honey, that recovery looks really good on you. Thank you. That a little filter. Okay, a lot of filters. And I'm telling you, just red lips, a little fake hair, yep. no hair, Botox. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you know, I I said it before. Um, you no, know, I just appreciate so much you being willing, you know, to come out, if you will, with your recovery, because there's still so much stigma attached to addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol, there's so much stigma and people want to hide it and they don't want anybody to know. And pretty much everybody that I've talked to, they say, but, but talking about it is, is what helps is therapeutic. You know, I completely agree because one of my sober friends is in nursing school and they test them every month and she got a positive test. They immediately sent her an email with this big red letter saying, you tested positive for drugs. You are now temporarily uh, whatever from the nursing program. All this horrendous stuff that got her heart going. And I was like, how sad. That yeah. Default was to assume that you were doing drugs. Of course they went in and it was the medicine that she's on for her bipolar. Okay, that triggered that. But they immediately, it's, immediately went to illegal drugs and she's busting her butts being sober every day four years with me because she was my sober sister in rehab you know and she's in this nursing program because she wants to help people on again on a larger level like me and and this system has has stigma stigma embedded in it i said why didn't they immediately go to oh interesting something triggered your test can we do a little investigative you know reporting and questions before you immediately assume that she's you know, doing drugs. I, I was like, oh, wow, we still got it embedded in our systems yep. too. Yep. Yeah. And we had, we had a woman on the podcast who had applied, she'd gone through recovery. She'd actually gone through prison and she was clean and sober and she had applied for a job in a major software company. And when they found out about her history, they wouldn't hire her. And so she went to an attorney and actually got them to hire her. And now her, one of her whole games, if you will, in life is to go around and talk to corporations and go, yo, you can hire these people. It's a good thing, you know, well, but it's, it's, a, it's that same thing. It's that stigma, you know, it is. it's like, oh, it's like still punishing you for something you were once was. Right. And what's the point of getting sober or getting your shit together or getting your life on track if society is still going to say, sorry, you messed up a long time ago. And by the way, when people are active in their disease, we don't, we're not behaving even near our authentic self. So when we're hiring somebody in recovery, you're actually hiring somebody in their authentic self because that's what we have to do to say sober or not use your drug of choice every day is constantly peeling that onion, leaning into things that are uncomfortable, watching for pre-lapse signs, you know, when your addict is doing push-ups and also giving back. What an amazing employee. And like you said, we still have that, oh, well, I mean, if you're in general, your time you cleaned up, yep. that's rewarded. Yep. Exactly. Well, and you, what, since you've been in recovery, is that since you got onto Big Sky on that series? Uh, no, actually, um, Big Sky came as a result of my getting sober because, you know, we're all energy, yep. you know, and yep. if I walk into this room and I'm just like nasty, I can change the energy in this room in a minute. Yep. If I come in with light, 
I changed the energy that way. So when I got sober, um, my family sat back and watched me busting my ass. My children, my friends were watching me every single day. I took a year off of college. I had one year left of college and it was a 10 year journey. And I took a year off to get sober and I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that if I didn't figure out how to find my sober legs, I wasn't going to survive. In that process of that year sobriety, I went to AA every day. I had to change the word God into mother earth is, you know, not like a lot of people, the God thing, ah, my God, it's a group of drunks. Okay. There God group of drunks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wear my sobriety like a warm robe versus a, tight corset. It's yeah. all good as long as you don't use today. I don't care how you do it, right? Sure. So um, I was doing that, trying to finish my last year. I was uh, entering into Department of Mental Health. I, the year before I was, or the two years before that, I was in the field with the homeless um, population, working with multidisciplinary group, working on my social worker degree, and just really trying to put one foot forward and um, raise my boys and um, stay sober and try to figure out what that looked like. And I was afraid, am I ever going to be funny again? Am I ever going to be creative again? Am I ever going to feel love again? Who's going to want to date me because I can't have a glass of wine? Oh my God, I've gained all this weight. Look in the mirror. It's like all this stuff. But I just slowly took it day by day for an entire year, went back to finish my master's and my brother-in-law out of nowhere texted me. Hey, Dee, you still acting? I got this role named Denise in this thing called Big Sky I'm doing. And I was like, Yes, 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 yes. And I'm, oh, I think I did drop my phone. And <laughs> I, my sister said, David, I think, and at first I didn't know I had my number. I mean, listen, we love each other. We hang out. We're a great family, but we don't talk shop. We just, yeah. David, we never, we talk fishing because he's like this crazy fisherman, like really, really amazing fisherman. So I, we talked that. We never talk shop. So this was a first. Um, I was floored. It reminded me of what they used to say to me. Oh, my God. In the beginning of sobriety, when they said the, the, the possibilities are endless. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 727- Three one four seven zero eight zero, and please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with thirty years experience and an over eighty five percent success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of twelve videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. The service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And you, you won't even see them coming if you just continue on the path of discovering that authentic self and do the right thing and help other people. And I just kept doing that blindly. I trusted the process that I couldn't see, you know, faith works best in the dark. I used to hate that. I'm like, I need to touch it and feel it. They're like, sorry, you just have to trust the process and look at people like you, you know, who, who are further along 
who can show you what it looks like. And I did that and this came and boy, I thought, wow, talk about being thrown a lifeline because I wanted to somehow help people on a larger scale. Yep. And I didn't know how I was going to do that. Getting on Big Sky, bam, did that. Because look, I'm here. I'm on the show with you. You yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. Scale. So it all just is so beautiful. I I applaud you for your sobriety. I, I applaud you. I know from everybody that we have talked to, and I don't have my own history of addiction, but I have a passion about it because it affects way too many people. And I can't sit back and go, hey, nothing to do with me. So I applaud you for your four plus years of sobriety. And I, I applaud you. And I also applaud everything you're doing to give back. Just out of curiosity, Didi. So now you're back on a television set. Yeah. Sober. Yeah. What was it like? Was it, how, did it feel like really different, better? Was it a bit of a challenge? I'm just curious. All of those. Okay. Certainly different. It was certainly a chance. Well, when we went back, it was COVID. That's right. Yep. We were in New Mexico. We had done one half day and then bam, everyone went home and the whole country shut down. We didn't know if we were ever going to come back or what. Like, well, like the whole country, we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So months and months later, because Canada had their shit together with the pandemic and we didn't at that time, we took, they took the production to Canada and we filmed up there. So okay. first of all, you have the weirdness of not being with the crew. We had groups, A group, B, C. We never saw each other. It was like when we walked into the set, everybody had to clear out because we were the A group in front of the camera without masks, but although we had to have masks. It was the weirdest thing to just film with the pandemic, but then you throw in there for me. Everyone else was doing happy hour afterwards, although actually that was close to happy hour via Zoom. Right. <laughs> Think about it. Everyone was shut down. Yeah. So they were doing happy hour Zooms, and I was like, I tried doing one with a Coke, and it just didn't feel right. So it was weird. It was awkward. Again, I had to just remember that um, these are those bumps in the road. These are those challenges. And um, at the end of the day, I could absolutely have a drink with these people. There's no law saying I can't. But I will literally lose everything that I had gotten at that moment. And then I have to ask myself, is it really that important to take that drink? And then I politely excuse myself from the Zoom. And then I call somebody who I go, okay, that was really hard. And they're like, right? Oh, my God, I went to my family's last night. And they were all drinking. I had to leave, too. Somebody understood me. Thank you. And they're yeah. not an asshole. I'm not an asshole. We just kind of had to. Until you, until you discover your sober legs is what I call it. You yeah. do kind of have to sometimes remove yourself from situations. Oh, yeah. And that's okay. It's kind of like, I don't know, not going to a goddamn candy store when you're when you're in the beginning of a diet. Yeah. Months into it, you can go in there, right? And be like, hey, I'm not going to eat that Bordeaux at C's. Yeah. First day of diet is don't put me in C's because yeah. I'm just pounding chocolate like an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's like drive on by Baskin Robbins, not stopping there. I'll talk for that. One will make the butt big, the other one I'll lose everything. Ah, I'd rather deal with the cushy butt. That's a fashion, anyways, right now, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, I just, I really do applaud you once again for being clean and sober because. You, you had to go back almost into the same environment that you lived through, not clean and sober, and live that way again. And a lot of times when we talk to um, people in recovery, for them, they have to get 
completely out of the environment and go off and do something completely new. But here you are, you're kind of back in that environment, albeit changed with the whole pandemic thing going on. But I think, I, I, to me, that makes you even more of a rock star than you already are. Thank you. Oh my God, you're so sweet. Thank you. Um, <laughs> when this podcast ends, I've got teenagers who just ignore me on there. So I'm <laughs> all the love I can right now. Um, so thank you for that. Because um, it's interesting. Um, I miss that element of the bonding. Um, the drinking and all that. Um, but I've discovered a different way to bond, right? It's almost like everything has to be a little different, right? Um, so each individual cast member I get to know, I just try to bond with them on different levels and do different things. Like this, we're in New Mexico, so I'm trying to get a bunch of us together to go and some, some aliens and stuff, right? I think like that's <laughs> crazy as hell, but super fun. Hey, Reba. Reba McIntyre and Catherine and Jamie Lynn. I have a whole bunch who are like, I'm going with you. I'm like, let's go find aliens, you know, but <laughs> night, but on a Sunday, let's go find aliens. Right. I have to shift it around a little bit, but it is different. It is hard, but here's something else. That's really cool. Well, I'm kind of like that person. Hey, DD fiber. How you doing guys? What's going on today? When I step on this, on the set and I'm, by the way, I'm in recovery. And they're like, wow, that was just like, a <laughs> why would you throw that out? He'll tell you why. Later on, the director or a producer or an actor will come up and go, hey, I'm sober too, 15 years. And I'll go, hey, why are you whispering? Because that's amazing. That's what I mean. That's the recovery out loud. That's what's important. Sorry, I didn't want anyone else to know. I'm like, oh, why are we whispering? 15 years, that's huge. Yeah. And tendency was to be like, Hey, Dee, Dee, you know, so I'm like, first of all, you give me, you inspire me, you know, cause I'm a newbie at this, but in second, think about it. Why are you whispering? That's something to cheer loud and proud. But if you don't want to recover out loud, that's okay. Yeah. Think about it. And they do walk yep. away going, shit, I don't think about why I do that. Yep. Yep. But that's what I mean when I say no judgment, if people don't want to talk about it, but yeah, huge yeah. accolades for people like you who are willing to throw it out there and bring it up because a lot about how the tendency nine at 99.9 percent .9 of the time people come up to me and they're whispering telling me that they're one of me and i'm like oh that's so sad that your tendency is to give in to that stigma because you're ashamed of something that's so amazing because i'm telling you right now getting sober is not for pussies i'm sorry oh it's no not. No. It is not. And I don't know any other group other than people who are really trying to survive the disease, their life, who are doing something so monumental as trying to save their own lives and give back at the same time and be good people. Listen, being a dry drunk is always an option. And I, that makes me sad because I'm like, if you're going to be a dry drunk, just go take, just go drink. Because come on, you're kind of making me look bad. <laughs> 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 not want to get sober when i saw you i'm like well, look at that jackass he ain't drinking and he's just nasty you know what i mean but it's so the people that i saw who and by the way i apologize for assuming that you were sober i i didn't i didn't it's okay I, but uh well you're, I, you were cool so i figured you wouldn't meet <laughs> <laughs> um, but plus actually it says a lot about you that you're not sober and you're doing this podcast to me that is a beautiful thing that you're in there trying to help us out recover out loud and you're not even one of us. That's so beautiful, man. That's that's compassion right there. Thank you. 
Thank you. I mean, I, it, it, we, we are passionate about this situation. And when we are introduced to somebody like you, I am just, I'm gaga. I have chills um, because I just think that you, you are a rock star in your recovery there. Thank you. Well, I do have my bottle of beads on. I'm doing like a little, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not today. Some days are not, not a lot. Yeah. Some days it ain't happening. Today I woke up going, I'm going to get on this podcast and rock it. <laughs> I do understand. That happens with me too. And I'm not in recovery. So there you go. Yeah. So are you still working with the County of Los Angeles? What, what else are you doing in terms of your life besides Big Sky? Yeah, what happened was it was such a weird turn of events. I graduated in 2020 online because of the pandemic. I was in the middle of my internship when they just said, boom, you're done. Like we were pulled out of the field. UCLA and all the universities pulled us, everyone, all the interns out. And they closed down all one-on-one because of the pandemic. They just didn't. And it was super sad. So I finished out my master's online, which was odd. Um, and the, the rest of the internship was like just writing stuff up. It was really sad because there's nothing like being in the field with the population that you want to work with and help. Yep. Um, but like I said, when I, I was finishing my master's during the pandemic in New Mexico and then Canada doing Big Sky, I was doing all of that. So by the time I graduated, the, the show was, was running already. I mean, we were up in, in where were we? Canada the first year. Yeah. So I was stuck behind borders up there. And there was a lot of homelessness up there and people with mental illness and addiction that I wanted to reach out and help um, when I wasn't working on Big Sky. But because of COVID, it was a dangerous thing to... Because if I got COVID, I can't... At that point, you couldn't work for two weeks. Yeah. Like, I could cripple the production. Yeah. So we literally just stayed in our... We, the ones who had... Ho- I stayed in my hotel room. Me and yeah. all the seagulls on the balcony. <laughs> we got to know the seagulls. <laughs> Canadian seagulls and I, we were... And the pigeons, we were... Neighbors didn't like me because I fed them, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I was very isolated for the most part. So I wasn't able to get in the field. Now it's a little better, but it's the same situation. Like I'm in LA right now. If I get COVID, then it's, I think it's five days down. Yep. So, I had, so I'm trying the best I can to help all those populations in any way that I can. That's not necessarily physical, hands-on. Yep. One day I would like to have my own show like you have and help people that way. And awesome. Go out in the field go out in the field and talk to people one-on-one and get that on. I think that would be huge. Absolutely huge. And I think it would be a very, a very needed and wanted. So you have our backup. If we can help you with that, you just need to let us know. Cause yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Didi, thank you for talking to us today. Any, any just final wonderful words? You're so upbeat and so positive and so delightful. Any last words to give our audience? Wow. I think, um, God, there's so many beautiful things that have been said to me through the years. I think probably that, um, that when we, when we use fear to make our decisions, we're, there's a lot of fear around getting sober or fear around not using your drug of choice. And I say drug loosely. It could be gambling, sex, or what have you, right? When you're, use, when you're looking at it with fear, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to be everything that you can be in life, you know? Um, and as afraid as you are to make that change, it's not going to be as bad as you think, I promise. Because I'm like an old dinosaur. I mean, my dad named me Hardhead, DDU Hardhead for a reason. So like, if I can do it, 
my op- my my thing is just try it, right? Just try it. You can always go back, but it's not the waters are okay over here. I, recovery can be really sexy, really fun, and uh, there's some amazing people who are out there that, that will support you who don't even know you, and they will support you, like me. That's awesome. Hey, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and it's totally fine if you say no, but if someone wanted to get into recovery and maybe they just wanted to reach out to you, is would you would you welcome something like that? Yeah, if you go on my Instagram, I have a lot of people who talk about stuff. I mean, I don't do like clinical one-on-one um, with anybody on my Instagram because I don't think that's really appropriate or nor the place. Right. And, and um, But like people will uh, – say things on my Instagram because my Instagram is really like about being positive and I do giddy random thoughts which are really random like, like really random and, but they generally revolve around I don't know things to get you thinking or, or get the, the serotonin dopamine burst or your heart warmers or something um, they can, how do they find you on Instagram? DD5 for official but what I'll do is I'll, I'll probably just shoot you to the rehab that I went to, which is really fantastic. Um, and they do fly people in from other states. This rehab, oh. your insurance, yeah. Okay. So, or if you're in Tennessee, you are really lucky because Kathleen Murphy, who's the one who really I have to give almost all the credit for my recovery, is now practicing in Tennessee. Kathleen Murphy, awesome um, woman, because she has trauma and addiction. Ah, and. And want the and you know and they like to tango. By the way, yes, they do. They yeah, absolutely do. Trauma and addiction just love each other, so they do need to be teased out and treated differently. Right, Dee Dee. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough for talking to us today. Thank you, Joni, for having me. Absolutely. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Um, Dee Dee is just absolutely delightful, and she is someone who is embracing her recovery. Um, out loud in a big way, but with joy, so much joy in her life. And it's so lovely to see. And um, yeah, you got to hand it to her. So thank you for listening. We will be back again um, next week. And we are in the thick of the holidays. So please, please, please don't wait until the new year to get into treatment. Um, There's so much scariness out there with fentanyl and overdoses and what have you, just get treatment now. It'll be worth it. And then you will have all of the holidays for the rest of your life to enjoy. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. <laughs>